Bing bong. What's up, everybody? Your host here at Mr. Adam X, and you're listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Auto Collective. Things are great. I'm skiing Alta every day. I know that bothers people, but uh, I have a little news flash for everyone. I don't actually decide who gets to ski or snowboard at Alta. So everyone attacking me in the DMs about like being woke and like, I don't know. Guys, I don't make the decisions. Also, I'm a snowboarder. I am with you. I would love to snowboard at Alta, but it's not an option. I don't make those decisions. So stop attacking me like I do. If I had any pull, um, everyone could sled everywhere and ski boards would be cool. And, you know, that would be my statement. That's what I would run for and run on. Uh, other than that, still on the road, still cruising. Currently in Salt Lake City. Have to give a shout out to my buddy, Digi Dave. Kind of hooked it up with a place to park and shower. So, Digi Dave, thank you if you were listening. Um, sponsors this week. As many of you guys know, I am a Sierra Nevada brewing company ambassador and although i've been slinging pale ales and ipas out of the back of the van they've got a brand new product that i'm super excited about and it's their hop splash sparkling water zero percent alcohol so you can kind of drench your hop craving anywhere at any time super excited to be part of this launch the product is so good you can order it online and you can find it locally soon oh i know We go to the resorts, it's a little sketch. Some of us are 30 something years old and don't have the best health insurance, which is where my next sponsor comes in. Spot insurance, let's face it. If you're active, the risk of injury is always present. Meaning if we push ourselves too hard, we're one accident away from crushing medical expenses. Not to mention less time spent doing the things we love. That's why Spot partners with ski resorts like Telluride, Taos, organizations like USA Cycling, and events like Red Bull Last Stand to offer injury insurance with lift tickets, memberships, and race registrations. Spot easily integrates with any booking platform and does all the heavy lifting to ensure your guests are covered. If your customer gets hurt, Spot can cover up to 25000 of their out-of-pocket medical bills per incident with zero deductible. With Spot, your customers can focus on a full and quick recovery so they can get back to living their best lives. Visit autobounds.getspot.com to partner with Spot and provide your guests with an amazing experience while showing them that their health and safety are top priorities. A win for you, your business, and your community. So check it out. Autobounds.getspot.com Now to my guest this week. Uh, many of you guys, he's kind of a household name. I would say he's a household name if you follow photography, but he's taken pictures of some of your favorite athletes from Jeremy Jones to Cody Townsend, superstar photographer, unbelievable story. Uh, we talk about the whole story, how he got in it. We don't even talk about that much photography. Uh, we talk about snowboarding and split boarding and how they were cutting boards in half. My guest this week is the one, the only Ming. Many of you may know him as Ming T. Poon on Instagram. Unbelievable storyteller. And he's lived a life already. And now he's back in Tahoe. And I sat down at his office and we recorded. And it was a fantastic conversation. So please enjoy the episode with Ming. Cool. Yeah. Um, thanks for doing this. Um, always appreciate somebody taking interest in me and what I do. Um, so thanks. Yeah, my name is Ming Poon. I'm a professional photographer. I have a media production company um, based in Tahoe City, California. I've been a full-time photographer since 2015 and started my media production company in 2018. Um, And yeah, you know, people know me for my photography, but um, I do all kinds of production work, um, including on some bigger productions with huge teams or... Uh, even smaller teams of, you know, maybe five people or something. Um, and then, of course, I think what people know me most for is probably my photography around the Lake Tahoe area and with the athletes from Lake Tahoe, um, like uh, Jeremy Jones and Michelle Parker and Cody Townsend, Elise Sogstad, you know, um, uh, Darren Ralves, 
there's so many from here that are so good and so well known, um, huge followings. Um, you know, Travis Kanong's an Olympic athlete, but we go free skiing together and shoot shoot powder shots. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much me in a nutshell, I guess. Like at this moment, um, we can get more into details though as we go. You can no, that's tell me what you want to hear. No, that's a great uh, intro, I guess. For you know, you got you have a lot of name drops, which is it's it's fun and it's interesting because it's that helps, right? So like without a doubt, shooting those you know for shooting those humans who are have huge followings definitely helps build a career. Uh, 100%. It was... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, I think this is where you were going with that is I, I give all of them the credit for all of my success, honestly. Like, and early on, I talked to people like Christian Pondella and Corey Rich and a lot of other photographer friends that were, you know, made men before I even thought about going full-time. And, you know, most of them talked me out of it, honestly. It was like, you got to do it only if that's, like, what you have to do, pretty much. And Pondella was like, man, you live in Tahoe, you're going to have the best access to all the athletes, so many athletes. I wish that I had access like that. You know, Pondella works with the best in the world, you know, for Red Bull and all these other companies. Um, and so his advice was, you know, yeah, it's all about the athletes, work with the athletes. And then, you know, guys like Jimmy Chin were like, hey, I built my career off two athletes pretty much, you know? So don't feel bad about working more with just two guys or one guy. Like that's great. And you're being productive and they're good people. They're good friends. Like you're lucky. And so in my case, I was super lucky. Um, you know, what happened was, is I lived, I moved here in 2002 and to Tahoe full time. And, you know, I was going to school. I like worked in my library so I could get paid like seven fifteen an hour <laughs> to like do my homework though, essentially. And, that was two birds. So even though it was seven fifty, I was getting paid to do my homework, which freed up a whole other block of time that I normally just have to work or to do my homework. And then that allowed me to snowboard more or an off seasons climb and all these other things that I was getting into. And you know, then I finished school and while I was in school actually I started taking like snow science courses and I just got more into backcountry, you know, new stuff, side country so to speak. I don't like using that term. Um, but more like backcountry access via the resort. And then, you know, just new stuff. And so I naturally progressed, you know, had to get some more skills, whether it was snow science, traveling in avalanche terrain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then immediately after graduating, I, you know, I started like just living the lifestyle full time, diving in, climbing year round, riding whenever I could, you know, trying to do like 150 days a year. You know, I think there was a year I had like 200 days. It was awesome. And, you know, that's kind of also when split boards became a thing. Meaning like, you know, you know, people were splitting their own out of like kits. Yeah, like, like literally kits. They're literally using a saw like down the middle of like your old board, you know, and then like, you know, using glue or some other sort of adhesive sort of try to like, last longer. Usually I, I couldn't even get a full season out of one, but, um, you know, that's what we did. Yeah. The, we had kits and then I had a volley board and, you know, <clears throat> anyway, in, in that process, I was, I started taking some guide courses, got super into it. I thought I wanted to be a guide and I was fully on that path. You know, I went and worked for points North Heli for three seasons, just surrounded myself with the lifestyle and like, you know, put myself in it and pretty much was everything was driven by snowboarding. You know, where I, you know, to go to Alaska, I could never go on my own. I could never afford it, you know, whether it was the time or the money. I didn't have either, usually. Um, and so I had the opportunity to go work there, and that was perfect. Because that got me up there. It got me with, like, people that were living the lifestyle also. And, like, it got me this heli access. And it just opened this whole kingdom. And so I got to thank Kevin Quinn for that, Jessica Quinn, um, Points North Heli. And that's also where I met a lot more friends and people that were guides, and like aspiring guides and all of those things. And so, you know, beyond like the coursework and book work, like in actual training, I actually got to get like real world experience applying those skills with supervision in the beginning too, which was a really big deal. Um, I didn't know how important the mentorship was at the time. Um, yeah, and then, you know, I got some more guiding work locally, um, kept going with some courses, 
Um, met, a, met a lot of really good mentors along the way in Tahoe, guys like Glenn Polson and John Morrison and Jeremy Jones. Um, yeah, you know, and guys like Michelle, or Cody, Cody Townsend and Michelle Parker, they were just old friends. And, like we grew up like Rat Pack together, kind of like when I was when we were, I was like 17 or 18 and they, Michelle was a little bit younger, Cody's the same age. And, you know, I'd try to keep up with them. Essentially, Cody had this posse of skiers. They were super <laughs> rippers, like locals, you know, grew up here. Like, this is like Cody, George Jelty. And then, of course, Elise was there too. And like, you know, they're all incredible. And <clears throat> I was lucky because like I could kind of just barely keep up with a couple pole poles and, you know, them pushing me along to help me along with some traverses, things like that. I was able to keep up and kind of full throttle. It was gnarly. Um, but I got, you know, I just got so much better really quickly. I got to learn the mountain like from these kids that grew up here and anyway and we just built a friendship more importantly and then we started kind of learning all these skills that I was talking about together you know Cody became top 10 skier in the world for whatever like two decades or something you know and um for sure more than 10 years and um yeah I and Michelle's probably the same um you know Ingrid Backstrom was here at the time and anyway it was like we were just doing it and we all had other mentors, you know, like Ingrid had mentors and then like Michelle, you know, Ingrid was a mentor to Michelle and like, of course, like, and then Ingrid was also dating like one of my really good friends and mentors, Kip Gar, and he kind of became like a brother to me and ended up being my roommate. And one of the reasons why I ended up in Alaska and one of the reasons why I chased the lifestyle, he showed me so much of the way. He showed me like snowboard mountaineering like how we can apply our climbing skills and our rope skills to these like snowboard and ski skills. And that's when we started getting into some more technical descents and ascents. And it was so fun. It was this young period in my life, in my 20s, where we would just, we were doing it every day. Yeah, and I don't want to date you, but like this was 20, almost 20 years ago where now we split boarding's a normal thing. You guys yeah. have helped put it on the map. Even backcountry skiing. Backcountry skiing 20 years ago, most people were on Telemark skis or like Fritchie free rides. Sure. But I think it's important <clears throat> for most of the listeners to hear like this was, like they were literally, he, he mentioned it, but like cutting snowboards in half. Yep. <laughs> the hot dog way. <laughs> yeah, we just like, didn't have it, you know? It didn't and exist. But I think it's people are, it's such a normal thing now. Everyone buys a snowboard now and they're buying splits and they're splitting up totally. the groomer at the resort. And that's what people do. And you guys were not creating the sport, but pioneering it for sure. And almost creating it. <laughs> yeah, and so I can dive into that. You know, I you know, I called the real pioneers. I called Jim Zellers. I didn't even know Jim, but that's how I got to know Jim was Hey, how do I figure this out? You know, he was going to the Sierra and boot packing. And he was like, Yeah, we'd go when it was frozen. So he was just you just walk really in the spring, you just it's like walking on concrete pretty much. You know? And I was like, that's crazy, dude. Because we're talking about like tons of vert and mileage and but like you just do what it takes, you know, and that's what they had. And solid boards are a lot lighter. So there is advantage to that. Sometimes like there is an advantage to a solid board and some terrain and some lines. Um but anyway, and so, you know, I got a hold of Jim, so we talked about splitting stuff, all that, and then, of course, like, the Volet boards came out, and Volet just, like, didn't progress it. There was, like, nothing changing. They were so heavy. The skins were, like, 10 pounds, seemingly. Those big pucks. The orange ones. Oh, yeah, the big pucks, too. I was thinking of the orange skins that, like, last forever, that, which is kind of nice, but they were just so heavy. Um, and then, yeah, and, and then in 2009, I went on this trip to Antarctica with Jeremy. I think that was his last, one of his last big trips with Rosignol. And then he announced Jones Snowboards. And dude, it changed our lives. Cause all of a sudden Jeremy was like designing these split boards for us. And then guys like Jim and myself and all these other people were like out there using them and testing them and tweaking them and providing feedback for them to tweak them. And that's really where we are today, and it's super exciting because like things have changed so much, but continually to get better every year. And now it's cool because I think they kind of like I think Jones was really like in front of it just because of who he is, and then obviously his experience and like his attention to detail, his leadership, all these things. But like that allowed like 
that kind of opened the door for all these other brands to kind of start getting more into it too. You know, even like big brands like Burton, they, they tried to get split boards, you know, and then, you know, that opened it up for Caracorm and Spark R&D with these awesome bindings that continually get better also. Like, and you know, that all of that stuff progressed, the skins from like Pomoka and all these other brands, Black Diamond, whatever, like, you know, and then, you know, forever, like we had to like cut our own skins and do all this stuff. And it's like, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, Black Diamond hates snowboarders. And I still think they probably do. Cause like they don't make tail clips for snowboarders or, or like or like skins that are actually designed for snowboards. Like you have to cut them and like rivet the tail piece and all these things. Like it was such a thing. And I, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I thought we were beyond that with like you know real split boards. And that was cool because then Jeremy, you know, Jones boards like came in with like, yeah, they're already pre-cut and fit. Duh. And it's also <laughs> it's a smart just like consumer move. Like totally. how do we get people. How do we make this as easy as possible? Yeah, and, and I think also acknowledging that snowboarders want to go splitboarding. There's a lot of people that like splitboarding. I don't, I think, and maybe people argue with me, like I'm, I grew up snowboarding. Sure. 100 day plus a year. Like I'm a, I will put it on the record that I'm a good snowboarder. Yeah. I can snowboard anything I can ski. Nice. But I'm a skier now. Oh, got it. <laughs> like I <laughs> ski full time. I still have a snowboard. I actually have a Jones. Nice. Um, Chris Christensen collab. I had to get in on it. I was in. But yeah. um, there's nothing better than snowboarding and powder. Nothing. I don't care how fat your skis are. I think we I can agree care. on that. Like, <laughs> that is the truest. Like, that makes sense. So, like, I've been, my addiction lately has been just pow surfing. Because it's, yeah. like, all of the good parts of snowboarding and none of the bad parts. Like, snowboarding yeah. on an icy day, I'm an East Coaster. I'll pass. Yeah. But like pow surfing or like actually snowboarding on yeah. real mountain. Like that's the correct tool. Mountain surfing. Job. Yeah. It's yeah. It's the greatest. Yeah. And so going back to like the shapes, you know, when all this was happening, you know, all of a sudden there were a lot more snowboarders in the backcountry, which there weren't before because they couldn't go as far boot packing or snowshoeing. It just wasn't efficient, you know? Yeah. What's up, Doug? How you doing? <laughs> um, we're doing a podcast. Hope that's okay. So, you know, we, we were out there surfing, right? And they saw that. And then all of a sudden you'd see all these like fatter shaped skis. And then like my friend Kip Gar, he put, um, you know, or like, actually let's go back to Shane. Shane was like, you know, it was inspired by water skiing, right? Yeah, the pontoons. Fl floating on snow. That's it. Surfing. And then he was like, I don't know if you remember the scene of him actually taking the water skis in Alaska down the spine, like power sliding. Ripping. Yeah, surfing the snow. And it was so cool. And then, you know, Kip took it to another level. My roommate in front of the time, Kip Gar, and you know, he was a mentor, and he put Dina Fitz on a pair of pontoons. So you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. So like, that was kind of the beginning of like new shapes and for snowboards, but also for skis and like surfing, you know? And so that kind of progressed into that, which was amazing to see, you know, all of a sudden the skiers were surfing too. And able to do a lot of turns, kind of like us, essentially. And now, we, you know, I have friends, I think they're like skis that are like 149 under a foot or something, yeah. you know? Wow. And they're pretty much surfing. It's awesome. So, like, in these super deep days, like, they can do these awesome turns. I was like, oh, yeah, that looked really fun as a snowboarder, which I don't normally say about ski turns. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was a cool time. And then, you know, and then came, like, the Storm Chaser, which is a jones board that christensen helped him right. collaborate yeah he collaborated with them on you know he's a surf shaper so going back to the water thing right and you know it was such a change for snowboarding it was um for me one of the biggest since the splitboard really like to the point where like if it's a powder day like i just don't want to be anything else you know the shape um we're coming out of turns with more speed and on deep powder days and it's just super snappy and surfy and you know I just remember these days where it was deeper and you're trying so hard to keep your nose up. Like those days are gone. It changed, it changed everything. But that, I mean, that's the evolution of sport, right? But yeah. like, I love that board and this isn't a, a Joan snowboards ad here, but like, I love that totally. board because the only time I go snowboarding is if it's a powder day or right. it's a spring day. Right. And that board is insane in powder and it's yeah. super fun and slush. Totally. So for me, that's like, that fits, that fills the gap for me. Yeah, no, and you know, and the, we just continually tweaking and like all of those tweaks and changes and refinements and all 
get passed down through the whole process too. It's not just the boards, like, you know, the hardware, the clips are better. You know, the base wax is better. The skin wax is better. The skins are lighter. Like the bindings are better and lighter. The boots are better and lighter. There's a walk mode in our boots now. We never had that when we were younger, you know? The, uh, the crampons are lighter. Like, you know, the ice axes are lighter. And like all those things like have enabled us to go further, you know? And that's what it's kind of all about. The tents are lighter, the sleeping bags, all those things, you know? And to the point where we can do as of now, you know, 10 day self-supported trips, which is a lot of weight, but yeah, like you can crazy. do it <clears throat> and you know, it's all on your back. Yeah. You can live for 10 days in winter, you know, um, <laughs> or even long spring days. And so, yeah, I think, you know, that going back to the shape thing and like, I, I, I don't know, you know, but like the evolution was happening very similar, similar. Like when we were kind of developing the snowboards and split boards, like, that's when like the fat skis really started to like come alive too. I think, you know, it was just all about surfing the mountain, which I respect a lot. Cause like, I remember seeing, you know, guys like Pollard, who I consider like an artist, you know, like surfing pow and like backwards sometimes switch oh, on like, skis, you know? And you're like, Oh, that's sick. Like that could never happen before. Like, you know, think of like, you know, the noodling oh, most was, skiers did before, you know what I mean? It was, a, it was, it had to be such a neat time to like watch it and see it and like we're close to the same age but you were here living it but like pollard i think like he almost got fired for trying to land switch like so many times there's like a famous story at like they were like filming for whatever yeah. and he was like you have just land it normal and he's like no this is possible right like so just sit there and keep shooting because <laughs> i will get it and like i remember i don't remember uh, but like he did like a 540 into powder and like skied away you yeah were, like yeah. What? Like, yep. It was insane. And they, yeah, it, it was all surf inspired and it, it was, it was fantastic to watch. And now it's completely changed the way we do it. Like yep. everything, skiing, yeah. snowboarding. I mean, look at snowboards then. And it's getting now. better and more fun and more accessible to everybody. I think, you know, of course there's this like barrier to entry with costs. But there's also more programs than ever to get people out there. There's more mentorship available than ever. Like there's more books available than ever. You know, there's like, there's a template to get out there now. You know, like when we first started, there was no template. There was no like manual of like how to split your own split board. You know what I mean? Like things like that. And like, it was just, you just figured it out. And how do you get up that mountain? Like, okay, at first it was boot packing, snowshoeing, whatever it took, right? Which was like, you might do it one lap and you're lucky. You get to the top and you're psyched. You know, now we can do four laps in a day and like be home for like a late lunch. Yeah, with ease. You know what I mean? Like, and that's like a big day, like call it over six grand, whatever kind of thing. And like just a normal process because of where we're at, which is cool. so, so cool and fun. And Yeah, it's, it is so accessible and it's funny. I, I toured Jake's on Monday and there was these two kids boot packing and just destroying the skin. Ugh, like brutal. And Jake's is a steep skin track for like... Yep. And popular and high traffic, yeah. you know? But I'm like, I'm not trying to gatekeep. I'm trying to be inviting to these kids, but I'm like, it might be time. If you enjoy this, it's time to invest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and I think the thing with splits, and I get it, it's intimidating, but like the gear lasts pretty long because it's not taking the abuse that your park skis are taking or your park board or like, you know, in a good yeah. year, if you get out, if you get 30 runs for most people... That's a good year. Sure, yeah, and most of them aren't going to be like hucking cliffs and stuff yeah, like that. Like, so yeah. it's it is an investment, but it's it's getting cheaper, mm -hmm. and there are opportunities and access and apps. I mean, we yep. use uh, this is an ad. We use Onyx Maps, but like I can't. Yeah, it's hear. great. I'm a, I'm a they're a client of mine and love their features. I've been you know I've worked with them and with Cody, yeah. and so we got to I got to learn about all the process you know or all their. Uh, overlays and oh, it's unbelievable. yeah it's really cool and then um yeah they part of being a client you know of mine they i just got a free membership it was it's awesome yeah i have one as well but it saves me traveling the country someone texted me yesterday he's like how do you know where to go because i'm just driving a van all over the place I'm right like, honestly I, it's onyx like i can see heavily trafficked routes and i can see slope shading and they give an avi report in popular places and like sure yeah. there's other gems that aren't up there but like <laughs> This is, 
this is a real deal app. And this, again, this is like not the goal it's of this cool. podcast, but yeah. like it's a tool that we didn't have. No doubt. Didn't. We didn't have smartphones in the beginning. Totally. Like, we didn't have maps in our pocket. We didn't have any of that. We didn't have, I think, I think when I was early on people, you know, of course like sat phones existed, but they were just bigger and heavier. I don't even think we had Garmin's until much later. Yeah, they were like, it was like an emergency, emergency phone. Yeah, like yeah. If, if, but if now, you, you know, we can like literally text through oh, our inReach or whatever GPS device we're using. You know, I use, um, I use, uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank, hang on. Um, somewhere Labs, okay. I use Somewhere Labs and it's awesome. You know, it fits in your pockets like the size of a cliff bar. But like, you know, for me now as a new dad, it's a big deal. I need my wife to be able to reach me or vice versa, you know, if something's happening um, and then, or whether it's work, you know, all of that stuff. And so, and then of course, obviously for us, it's for emergency purposes mostly. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> you know, if I'm working with a film crew, like, you know, those guys are high end athletes, like doing cutting edge stuff. And when you're on the edge, like things can go wrong. So it's important we have like things like that protocols. Usually somebody has a sat phone too, but you know I always have like my own GPS device. Yeah, it's crazy how much it's changed even in the last five years. But so my question is, how does <clears throat> Ming, the college student working in the library, end up being like one of like the most, and I'll, I'll float your ego here a little bit, but like impactful Tahoe photographers. Like are you, and not even Tahoe photographers, like. I mean, you're nationally known, you've been in a million publications, you've won awards. How do we get there? Because it seems like at that time you were almost an athlete. Like you were, was there a, was there a conscious choice of being like, I'm either going to be an athlete or I'm going to be a photographer or like I'm chasing Cody and I'm not at that level and yeah. Jeremy. So like maybe I'll learn how to use a camera or like, is this a passion? Where does this, how does the transition happen? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, Cody, Michelle and I, we're, you know, we're all kind of like similar generations, so to speak. Michelle's younger than us, but, um, you know, and you can go down the line with a lot of other athletes, but I use them because they're living in the same town and they're, you know, top three, top five, top 10 skiers forever. And, um, you know, when they were doing like all these huge free ride film, con you know, things and like, you know, heli lifts, snowmobiles, all of that, like, I didn't have that kind of access usually, you know, I wasn't a superstar, I was just a normal dude. I worked at a restaurant at night, you know, and like, I, and we, I had to go splitboarding and do the new stuff, <clears throat> the, the lines I wanted, you know, all those things, and like, it wasn't for the camera, it wasn't for anything, and like, at that point I was also doing some stuff in front of like, the lens of Corey Rich, so I got to kind of see that perspective of how he does it, and I got to learn a lot from him, and he's still a mentor, but, so that's kind of how it went, like I was, living the life like just every day and then and i would say an athlete but like not like a pro or anything like that so like i was strong but like i wasn't trying to do the biggest lines and the fastest descents and biggest spines like on camera stuff like i just wasn't at that level you know i wasn't doing sick tricks off of cliffs like the mac dog guys were at that time you know there was i was never going to be that guy and but i was climbing big peaks and like loving it and doing new stuff all the time and like living the life and just like, I was a waiter. I didn't care, it was awesome. I'd snow every day and go work at night and eat some good food and go home to my like $300 a month room that I had a house with two, two other guys, you know? It was like that and then totally living the life and loving it, like no liabilities, no stress, like just doing whatever I wanted to do and like saving money in the summer and like spending it all <clears throat> that year. It wasn't about like, I was thinking about the future much at all, you know? All I was thinking about was whatever it took to get to that next thing, whether it was like, you know, Antarctica or, you know, Chamonix or... You were skiing you know, Whatever, yeah. Whatever that, that was like thriving at that time, you know? And then my dad died. You know, I was like on top of the world and then I just went to like the worst. It was like <clears throat> just a horrible time. Like, you know, I was 26, I think, 27, and just super unexpected. I happened to be on the way to the airport when I got a call that he was in the hospital. So, you know, he was in China, and I flew there, and just, you know, he went to this crappy hospital, and he died the day after I got there. That's and, crazy. you know, I was young, super unexpected, and, you know, it came right after 
some other guests like Shane and Arnie, you know, members in our community that were also living the life. So, you know, when you're young, like, you don't really think about mortality that much. Like, you just don't. And if you do, not that seriously, or it just doesn't matter to you as much. There's just as much weight to that. You're just thinking about living. And, like, for me, I was, like, on the edge, like, so often and totally comfortable. Like, I got really comfortable, like, on that edge, like, on a daily basis and even sought it out, you know, with guys like Kip. And then right after my dad, so I was in China and I was like, fuck, like, this sucks. And there was some family stuff, like, gets more complicated where I found out this company that my dad was working for with my uncle, he was actually a partner in and he just never told me. And my uncle's like, it's a pretty substantial company. You should come check this out. <clears throat> and I was like, okay, well, tell me a little more, you know? And so I get back, I talk to my girlfriend. Things are going really great. I was like, you know, I might have to move to Hong Kong. Um, she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, it's really hard to explain, kind of, but not really. It's just I have to go, otherwise I'll never know, and I'll possibly regret it forever. And I made the decision. I was like, I got to go. So I'm going to go. I'm going to give up this, like, awesome ski bum life for this, like, unknown. But I had to see it through because it was, like, family. It was this potentially great business opportunity that I didn't even fully understand yet. And I was like, hey, Molly, you know, things are really good. Do you want to go? And, like, we were, like, one year in, and it was awesome. But, like, we're one year in. And she's, like, this young babe in Tahoe. When I met her, she had, like, three boyfriends. You know, it was, like, ridiculous that she would even consider going. I totally didn't expect her to, like, I told her to kind of just laugh at me. I thought she would just kind of laugh at me, like, and I it was prefaced it with that. I was like, I totally understand why you wouldn't go and, and would not, you know, think anything less of you if you didn't, just so you know, like, no pressure, but, like, if you want to come, I want you to know that you can come. And she was like, she didn't think about it long. She was like, I'll go. And I was like, all right, cool. I didn't even know what that meant, you know. I didn't, we didn't. We didn't live together, you know. It was like, anyway, and um, so we went, and right before though, um, Kip and Allie died in an avalanche on Split Mountain, and I just went to this like spiral, you know. I was just devastated. Like the closest people to me, you know, Kip was like a mentor and a brother, and he, and he fucking died doing and I could have been with them that day like they asked me and I was like yeah I'd love to it was on the list like high on the list I was like let's go do it and I ended up going to Yosemite with Molly and said to go rock climbing and <clears throat> I got the call when I was in Yosemite I didn't even have service and there was this search you know and I freaked out obviously and um raced back up the Sierra and I was like where where you need me and my friends were like no buddy like we don't need you, you don't wanna be here for this. You know, Glenn, Rob Gaffney, Jesse Bushy, they went over like body recovery and, you know, I was young and so fragile from my dad passing away and Shane and Arnie and like, all of a sudden you're like, wow, like, not only like are my closest people, like my mentor, my dad, like all these high figures in my life, you know, like they were gone. And, like things were just different, changed. Like I was, had no stoke for so long. And I remember, like, the first time it came back, it was on a KT lap. It was, like, seconds, pow day, you know? And then it was minutes, and then it was hours, and it was days, and then linking days, right? And it just keeps going, and we just try to have good days every day. So this stuff happens, and anyway, that period, though, I was, like, you know, young, and I got shingles, like, really bad, that kind of stress, you know? Like, it was coming out of my body. And then I moved across the world... <laughs> And with no friends. Add to the, add yeah. To this. And threw myself to the walls with like serious businessmen from China, Taiwan, Germany, Japan. Like I was getting fucking thrashed and like fed to the wolves, but learning a ton. And I just like, you know, I, I, I think it was the steepest learning compared to my life. And I, actually have recently got back to really steep learning curve and it's really great. But now I'm older and I can manage the stress a little differently. It's, a, it's also not a different culture in a different country that I'm dealing with, a different market, a different industry, uh, you know, all these things. But I was lucky because one, I had my uncle who was a super savvy businessman and one of the founders of the company. 
and one of my highest mentors as well, for sure now, and um, kind of replaced my dad, you know, in terms of that like high position, you know, and then honestly, like I couldn't have done it without Molly. Molly was there for the whole thing and it was so gnarly sometimes, you know, and she had to learn Chinese. Like I had to learn Mandarin. My family speaks Cantonese and like in Hong Kong, you can get by with English and Cantonese, no problem. But like in China, you have to speak Mandarin. Otherwise you can't get by, like you can't get a taxi, you can't get food, you can't order out, like you can't just get by with English or anything. And so, yeah, so we, anyway, we moved there. I moved to Hong Kong, then I moved to Beijing and kind of split time. And I was responsible for like all of Northern China, office in Beijing, lived there mostly. And, and then Molly and I just got super close and we traveled to snowboard and I was only snowboarding like 30 days a year, whatever. But I was staying in touch with all my friends, like Jeremy, Michelle, Cody. I'd come back to Tahoe to visit, to go snowboarding. You know, I talked to them about stuff. You know, Jeremy became a friend and a mentor. Like he helped me get through that time super stress of like losing friends, you know, cause like he had gone through it. He's lost so many friends. He was really close to Shane, you know, um, and so many others anyway. And then, so we stayed in touch and I started climbing around like, and just climbing a lot. I was traveling all over Asia, like mostly weekend warrior, but like, you know, climbing a lot and it was sick. Like South Africa, like jungle climbing in Laos and Thailand and Southern China and all over China really. And then, um, you know, of course climbing in the Sierra still and stuff and living the expat life, which was great. I started making money. I was like living this like executive expat life with no liabilities, no kids, like, you know, a partner that made money as well. Molly started her own business, voice recording of all things, um, which she started there in China and then opened up an LLC in the U S when we moved back. And yeah. And, Eventually, it was just like, okay, we're not going to have a family here. It's time to move back. And I miss snowboarding. <clears throat> and Molly was like, when? And I was like, I don't know. And then eventually, like, it just came, like, a perfect timing where I was like, I know I'm going to leave, and I want to go and get married, and I want to be back for the next winter. So I did. I came back in, like, November of, like, 15, I think, <clears throat> or 14, or 15, or 16, I forget, 15 maybe, and then winter of 16. And, yeah, and before I did that, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk away from this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, I know that for sure I want to work with people. I want to work with places I want to work and never deal with like unethical, immoral businessmen again. <laughs> and, you know, I have done pretty good with that. And that was kind of like the guiding things. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to come back. And I talked to Pondell and like some other people. And I was like, I think I'm going to make a go at this. And that's when he gave me that advice about the athletes in Tahoe. And of course I talked to everybody else and I talked to their athlete, you know, and I remember Cody being like, oh, dude. He's like, yeah, we go out anyway. He's like, now you just bring a camera. And I was like, yeah. You know, just like making this shit up in my head, you know? <clears throat> it was like horrible. But like, luckily, I had awesome friends like that that already trusted me to go out with them to at least not like die or to like be, create a liability for them at all, you know? And like, that was a big deal because like in the beginning, without a doubt, I wasn't any good. I just wasn't that good, like, especially compared to where I'm at now or even like f four years ago, you know, or something like the progression is real, whether it's technology or your actual skills or piecing it together, like all these things and like experience is worth a lot. And so I came, moved back to Tahoe, you know, I had some camera gear that I started playing with in China before that, you know, got Lightroom, all that stuff, software and like just getting experience. Just, I got good advice from a friend that's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist at New York Times and Jonah Castle, he kind of mentored me to like come up and he's like, dude, just shoot everything. He's like, and if you like it, even better, shoot more of it. And I was like, sick, good advice. And I was like, because I like this, it's super great. So I started shooting like rock climbing and like snowboarding and my friends and like blah, 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 you know, like beautiful places that I liked. And then I just continued to do that when I got back to Tahoe, but with athletes. And I realized like I could go out with friends and like these awesome, beautiful shots, but they weren't worth anything. But I got one beautiful shot with Jeremy Jones. It was worth a lot. Like, and I didn't know that. But like I figured that out and I was like, wow. And then it turns out Jeremy has like 12 different sponsors or more that would be interested to have that photo too, you know? And so working together with him and Cody and Michelle and then Darren Rouse and all these other big name athletes, like, you know, it just opened this door to a trove of brands and we're like, oh, Ming, you're like, cool. Yeah. Like we might've known each other because of being in the industry, like beforehand or something, you know, I had some of that, but like mostly it was like those guys being like, hey, 
here's a photo of Ming, you should look at it. Otherwise, they probably won't even open my email. So was, again, I give all the credit to the athletes. And then, 2018, I won the Powder Mag Photo of the Year. And then it was like, phone calls, emails started coming in. It was yeah, like, game awesome. And like all the athletes were like, hey, we want Ming to come. And they were like, oh yeah, one running photographer, great. You know, like fake it till you make it, right? I had made it, it was sick. They weren't questioning me. They weren't like, oh, can you show me a portfolio? Like, I don't know, man. It was like, oh yeah, sweet, like Ming, great. And like, I think, you know, at that point I probably had like a website and stuff too, but like, I don't know how much that actually helps. Um, it was most of the athletes and then having an award under your belt, like the accreditation and like publications showing your stuff off, like it's the best. And then to have an award, like the photo of the year, it's the best of the best. And so then, you know, came like more like film trips and more athletes and travel and all of that was awesome and great. And it still is, but, um, you know, I lost some more friends, um, and then I got married. I had a kid 18 months ago. He's the best. And Congrats. Thanks. Yeah, we're going to try to have another. And, you know, so with the with that, though, like, I started reducing my risk. You know, probably when my wife was pregnant, but maybe not. I think I did Sphinx when she was pregnant. That was pretty real. And then... Um, for sure, after he was born, though, I just took it back, you know, and that was like also lockdown, COVID lockdown. March 2020 was lockdown, and I had cam, we had cam June 2020. And so then, you know, I started traveling less, and, and then as of late, you know, just trying to reduce my risk more and more, I would say, you know, shooting more commercial work is great, local stuff is awesome, love it. But I've been seeing no to some stuff and just, I'm just not the guy, the best guy, so to speak, for some bigger trips. Like, you know, I went to Pakistan with Adrian, and that was awesome, but like, I knew, I went there then knowing that like, I wouldn't go after I had my son. Like, it just probably isn't realistic, you know? Like, and if I did, it would be under different circumstances, like, you know, just in terms of my risk tolerance and stuff. And so, yeah. You climbed yeah. K2 with uh, I went to base camp, but he okay. climbed K2. Yeah, yeah I went to, I went to, it. I actually went to advanced base camp. I found out later I wasn't supposed to do that. Um, and it was great and like pretty, for the most part, like totally acceptable risk. Like honestly, the most dangerous part is the road getting in where it's like- That you drive, right? Yeah. Well, some place, and we had to get out at some one point because it got taken out and these like villagers rebuilt the road, rebuilt quote unquote. Right. You know, they're literally using like picks and shovels and like their hands. And they're like, oh yeah, we do this like probably several times a year, you know? People die and like. Oh yeah, it's and, funny though. Like the, for you, you went to advanced base camp, and the sketchiest part was the road coming. Totally, in. I to I still stand by that, and like, to the point where like if I went back, I think I'd like to get a heli bump to avoid it, and it's super expensive, but totally worth it in my opinion. Because in the rest of it, like it just feels you know as much, and like, even on the mountain, I feel like I could have mitigated dangerous, da like objective danger more. And so, yeah. That's insane. <clears throat> yeah. But anyway, and so, yeah. And so now where I'm at, it's great because, like, work comes in. I don't have to try as hard in terms of, like, shooting, of course. Like, my effort is there. and being creative. I, I just, it's a nonstop struggle. I definitely still have the, my work isn't good enough often, you know, where I don't put out that much because of that, probably. And you gotta, you gotta get over that, but... You know, I'm pretty good about sending them out to brands, but not necessarily putting it out into the world myself. Um, and yeah, I've got a bigger deck. It's great. I've got a bigger stack of athletes that I work with all seasons of the year. Um, work just kind of comes now. It's great. I'm working with really good people all the time. So I've kind of like achieved the goal of like working with people in places, doing good things. Like I work with nonprofits all the time, you know don't ask it's not about compensation you know i give them assets etc all these things non-profits it's great um <clears throat> yeah jeff <laughs> and um and then you know and as of recently part of like that transition from uh you know less risk and more time at home i've got my real estate license in august last year uh hung my license with tom mountain realty um and i'm rolling you know i it's great right now. It's a good balance. I'm definitely not getting enough sleep, um, mostly because my wife is um, needs a little bit more help right now with the family side, and so um, yeah, it's a good balance between the two businesses and kind of rolling with it. Yeah, I think 
One of the most important takeaways from this conversation is that athletes felt comfortable bringing you in. Like, even when you weren't, the, per se, the world's greatest photographer. Like, they, yeah. you had the skill set to go into the backcountry with them, which is, like, I think just an important thing to note. Yeah. My, I don't want to keep you too long, so my, my, my closer here is, like, what is next for Ming, the photographer? You know, what's next? Is it just, you know, if it's, what's next for Ming is, you know, settling down. I mean, you already settled down, but like being home more and being a real estate agent or like, are you still really trying to drive home that, that photography video production, or is that going to take a backseat in the future? Yeah. Good question. <clears throat> you know, I think for me kind of just will be dictated by where the opportunity is, you know, like now I've gotten to this point where like I'm feel really comfortable to say no to like a higher risk job let's say um i think the future for me would be like bigger productions that i'm working with just because they have bigger budgets so it makes sense even if i have to leave home you know and then my wife is super supportive you know so if like i'm leaving for work and it makes sense like it's worth the time you know and then of course like the risk also like am i doing something super dangerous you know and in this case like those kind of productions are safe and then commercial work, you know, working with commercial clients, it's been awesome, you know, brands like, you know, Yeti and Eddie Bauer and um, uh, American Pistachio Growers, you know, etc. like those bigger commercial clients, like, you know, just make it worth the time and also like help me drive the creativity also because it's worth that time to put into it and the energy and you're super motivated to push it and do something different, you know, and so... Yeah, I think that's like the future. But in terms of like, you know, the real estate business is newer. And I think without a doubt, we'll phase into the media business. But the media business isn't going anywhere. You know, I think we'll just see what happens with the opportunity right now. Like, you know, if we go into recession, like everything could change. And like, the media business is still going to float me, no matter what, I, I think, like during COVID, it was good. Like, People wanted a local photographer because they didn't want people to travel. So I, and all the athletes were home. So I got tons of work. It was awesome. And, you know, luckily guys like Jeremy, like also want to stay home more too, because they have family, you know, they have kids like Michelle might have kids. Cody just had a kid. So like guys like that, we're, I'm going to work with more like, and guys like Cody, Michelle, Jeremy, like we're going to ride together for the rest of our lives. You know, that's like the goal. You know, Darren has kids, Darren Rowles and like stuff like that. Travis Ganong is going to have kids, I'm sure, as well, you know. And so I'm super lucky. I can continue working with those athletes, you know, as long as they're relevant in the industry with brands, things like that. Like I assume I'll be busy, which is great because that's what I love to do. And I think that's also what I excel at, you know, because I love it so much. Like I don't mind those 3.30 wake-ups because I love it, genuinely love it, like camera or not. Yeah, and I think that's why you've made such a career out of it is that it was never necessarily a career choice. It was just like, this feels right. Even, you know, it sounds like you, you went to China for a while and did what you had to do, but you knew you were going to end up back here doing what you loved. Whether, you had, whether it was a conscious decision or not, that was where it was going to take you, which is fantastic. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of that's just luck. You know, of course, having goals and driving, but like, I remember like before my dad died, he told me, he was like, you know, the only one I'm jealous of is you. And he had, you know, he was crushing it in business and like, but he, you know why? It was because I was doing whatever I wanted to do. And that like stuck with me. And so then when I was sitting at his desk in his position in China or in Hong Kong, I was like, okay, I never forgot that. He was jealous of me when I was a waiter being a ski bum doing what I wanted to do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was an expat, oh, yeah. I live in the executive life, and he was jealous of the ski bum just because I was doing what I wanted to do. And so I, that stuck with me, and so that was a big part about moving back here. It wasn't about financial move or career move, it was just, you know, that lifestyle and balance, you know, and following, following like, you know, that's a first world problem, right? Like, first world luxury, like, to be able to have the opportunities and, like, options. And then, of course, like, you know, the business, like, also provided me those, you know, and continue to. And so, um, but, you know, all of those skills, too, like, business stuff in China, like, without a doubt, all applied to, like, the media production business and, like, photography. Like, 
you know, that was one of the coolest things about it when I came back was like, I had to like use all of my skills, business, personal, physical, like creative, like, you know, it was just everything, the full skill set. And like Zellers, you know, we've talked about a lot. It's like the raw skill is like 33% of it. So like even the best snowboarder, they're the best. That's only 30%. The other 30% is like who you are. Like people want to hang out with you. How cool are you? Like how nice are you? You know, like, and then the other 33% is like the business side. Like are you good at following up, being professional, being on time, being early, all those things, you know? And so try to like utilize those skills and be good at all of them. And like, turns out the same skills translate into real estate and anything else, you know, being a dad, like, and so just never any balance. Yeah. Yeah. It it's, goes on. Yeah. It's great. You say it. Cause it's, I think, you know, a lot of people who look at your Instagram or anybody, any photographer or creatives like that, that's the fun part. No one saw the answering the emails and the totally being on time. So it, it's fun that you said that. Um, Ming, where can people follow you on Instagram, if you're on TikTok, anything like that? What's the best place for them to find you? Yeah, thanks. Um, Instagram's great. It's a super awesome handle for, you know, for all the beautiful imagery stuff, um, Ming, Ming T. Poon. Um, and, of course, I have, like, Twitter and Facebook. You know, you can just look up Ming Poon or Ming Poon Photography. Um, yeah, and then for some reason you're interested in real estate, I have uh, some real estate handles, Ming Poon Real Estate, and... Um, hit me up. <laughs> and you know, I always tell people like, anytime just reach out, like all things Tahoe or just whatever. Like I had questions today about cameras. Like I had questions today about split boards and like I answer them on the gram or however people hit me up. I'm, I try to do it just to help people, you know, because I had so many people that helped me along the way and I'm happy to, that's like one way I can give back and it's just great. So any nonprofits out there, if you guys are looking for imagery too, and I can help in some way, like please reach out. Like I'm happy to like, help good movements, you know? I wanna like push that forward, whether it's climate change or preservation of land, like things that I'm really passionate about like that. So helping kids, helping people, you know? Peace in Ukraine. Yeah, we could, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. No doubt. But uh, Bing, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, this was short notice, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. So episode 51 of The Pursuit on the Auto Collective. 51 guys that means 52 is one year that's a big deal stoked on it as always like share subscribe follow at mr adam x follow at auto collective and uh i'll see you tomorrow